Welcome to Identity Church Sunday Morning Message, where sonship is revealed. Stay tuned at the end of this message to receive more information about resources available through Identity Church. Now grab your Bible, sit back, and enjoy a message from Identity Church that is already in progress. Okay. Um, this is my third week on the series of Identity. I've systematically am teaching this. I believe that we are a elder-governed, apostolically-led kingdom fellowship. But if you don't know your identity and where your identity comes from, you will be defeated in your Christian walk. And I believe that because we don't understand our identity, we get up from the enemy and we turn to religious activity because we, we don't know who we are. Um, I, am, I have been diligently doing these PowerPoints. I've actually sent yesterday uh, the notes to these PowerPoints. Every week, they're going to be on the, the website. Uh, uh, they're going to be on the app. Pastor Mike has the first week's notes, second week's, and today's notes. Rodney has them. So get these notes, and I want you to study this series on identity. Because, I mean, just like, you know, I know I'm, some people are like, really? He hates that. I don't like the song, went to the devil, you know, enemies camp. And I understand there's times you got to go get back what was stolen. My problem is, why was it stolen? Some of us have been serving God for 20 years. Devil shouldn't just pick us off like like we're that easy, and and he's doing it because we don't know who we are, and and I'm frustrated with losing things. I'm frustrated with going and getting things that I should have never lost, and so I'm 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 serious about that. So so the first week was, was that you don't have a sin nature anymore. Remember that one? That was a great one because I've been taught that. I was taught you know the old Indian the chief that got saved and. You know, a year later, the missionary comes back to the Indian chief, and he says, how's your walk with Jesus? He says, well, like I have two dogs living on side of me, a good dog and a bad dog, and they're fighting all the time. I said, which one wins? The one I feed. Well, that was the teaching that I, I grew up with, so it became yo-yo Christianity. I have a good day. Why? I'm feeding the right dog. I had a bad day because, you know, the mean dog showed up. That is not the gospel. And I, I line upon line, like when I do PowerPoint, do you understand this PowerPoint is, is for me to stay on track? I, I know some of you think it's boring, but I stay on track because my little prophetic brain goes squirrel and I go all over the place if I don't do this. But when I, when, when, when the apostolic teacher thing comes on me, that's why I do PowerPoint. And, and listen, it takes me hours. To build some of these. So I want you to go back and listen. I've given you notes. I want you to, to, to study them. When, when new people come around and they want to counsel, I'm going to send them to that teaching. Get past that one first, then we'll talk. Okay. So let's do it. This, let's, today's message is not working. I guess I should turn it on. The ongoing warfare, the spirit against the flesh. 
do I, am I hitting a button here? <clears throat> Here's the review. The identity series, the reborn identity. When you became born again, you had a reborn identity. <clears throat> We're seeing how critical it is to know who you are in Christ and who Christ is in you. That was the first week of this. You also act out who you think you are. As a dad, I don't, I don't struggle with, with believing that, that you're a father to those kids. Lord, you, you have it in your head because please help me not to get into my, into my heart that I'm a parent. When, when you have kids, when you become a father, you automatically start parenting. No, I see myself as the parent, and I act out of who I see myself as. When you tell them to clean the room, you have the authority in that area. You are just as accepted by Father as Jesus is. Okay, so in other words, when I know who I am in a particular situation, what my identity is and what my responsibility is, I will act out of that proper identity. I, I treated my two children as I was their father and I was the parent. And when I spoke, I expected them to listen. Now, I have spoken to some of your kids, and they didn't see me the same way. All right. You are just as accepted by the father as Jesus is. Get this. Jesus was the son. His father was God, and he accepted him. You are God's son. you got to get this. You are, just, you are just as loved by the father as Jesus is. You have the same authority of sickness, disease, poverty, sin, all the works of the devils as Jesus did. When you recognize that we are sons and daughters of the king, prince and princesses of his kingdom, you can live this life through us. He can live his life through us. Okay, I'm, I'm, I know it's, it's feel like I'm driving down a bumpy road here, but I'm going to get somewhere. We can spend our inheritance showing people how good our daddy is. The old man is dead, dead to sin, God removed the desire to sin from your true self. Part two, why do I do the things I don't want to do, dead to the law? And the law reminds us that we cannot fulfill the law in our own strength. Week one, you're dead to sin. Week two, you're not under the law. Strong teachings, and you need to go back and get that. Turn it into your Bible study. Key is to, is to get weaker so we can get stronger. What am I saying? Some of us have sin problems because we're not dead to sin. <laughs> we let it grow. We're feeding it. We're enjoying it because we don't know who our daddy is. Christ's living his life through us. Today I want to look at sin, the flesh, and what that means for the believer. All right, here's the real good stuff. I said we're a kingdom fellowship. John 3 says, only by the Spirit can the kingdom be revealed. 
We're a kingdom fellowship. Now, I've seen a lot of churches that weren't kingdom. They had the language of kingdom, but they had not the function of the kingdom because they functioned outside of the spirit realm. And you cannot, nor will you, walk in the protocols of the kingdom outside of the spirit. So this is a spirit life. But I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Verse 17, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For those are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Last week, I proved to you scripturally you're not under the law. And here's how you can do it, is walk in the spirit. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of rage, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. I was dealing with someone this week. And 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 in my conversation with him, I says, "Do you think Jesus is with you all the time?" Yeah, you got him living on the inside of you. He said, "Yeah." I said, "So, um, do you really believe that?" Yeah. I says, "So, did you invite him to do porn with you last night?" Oh, so you did it against his will. So you made him watch porn with you. <laughs> <laughs> no, he got out of the spirit and went completely into flesh and ignored the fact that Jesus was watching with him. He told me the next day, you've really messed up my life. I said, no, you already had a messed up life. I'm trying to straighten it out. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Jesus Christ has crucified the flesh. Say that. Crucified the flesh. We went over that the first week. You have been crucified with Christ. <laughs> mm -hmm. With his passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. There's a lot of people that live by the Spirit, but they don't walk right. Why would Paul write to a group of born-again believers who are dead to sin and alive to Christ, dead to the law, and tell them, but I walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh? He's talking to believers now. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposite to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. For the same reason he told the church in Rome, do not be conformed to this world. Do not let those world let this world squeeze you into its mold. Because it is possible for people who have all the re resource of Christ 
do not live from those resources. That's why he said that. And so my challenge is to myself and others, what resource are you living from? Paul describes this life according to the flesh. It is completely at odds with the life now available to us to live according to the Spirit. Let's go big picture. That's why I put big font on that. What is the meaning of life? What is the why of your being here? Why are you here? I read a business book on if you don't know your why, you'll never know why. If you don't know why, you won't know why. Why am I here? What is the point of it all? Out of the overflow of love between a husband and wife, they create a child or children to share their love with it. This is what God did. We were created by God God to enjoy his infinite and limitless love. We were made in the image of God. Say that. I was made in the image of God. In plain English, that means that we are capable of receiving God's love. You are capable of receiving God's love. If we get this, our Christian life will change. We don't only have antennas that pick up God's love. We also have the ability to receive his love. We have a set that receives, and we can actually receive that love. Listen. When I travel and and the prophetic starts flowing and I'm praying for people, do you realize about half of what it is is they don't think God loves them? Which means they've never been in position for God to love them. And and so I always, I I go back to my my story. Jesus walked through the wall. He said, you put your hand in my hand, I'll never leave you, forsake you, or I'll let hell have its way with you. I chose Jesus. And all of a sudden, these eyes of love pierced my soul. And for the first time in my life, he loved me enough. Listen, I know some of you met sweet baby Jesus laying in a manger. I met the Lion of Judah. He loved me enough to tell me if I didn't straighten up, he'd let hell have its way with me. But he loved me enough to scare the hell out of me. But it was the love. It was the genuine. And I knew all my junk. I knew all. You can't hide that. And it, it, it floored me, goodness gracious, the creator of the universe knows everything and loves me. And that's, that's when the change started. God love can come into us and can dwell within us. We are capable of that, and we are made able to do that. We are not only able to respond to God, but we are able to share that love he places inside of us with others. We were created for a relationship with God. We were created to live our lives from him. We were created to live and move and have our being in him. So we are dependent on him. He is a dependent, 
it is a dependent relationship where he initiates and he gives the life and love we live from. Okay, catch this. We are dependent creatures in a dependent relationship of love. The problem is, is we have a culture that says, I want to be independent. Don't tell me what to do. I don't need anybody. I can do it myself. And we do that to God all the time. Why am I here? To be a receiver of life of God, to contain his life and to display it and to share it and to become an extension of God in every situation. I am the steward of this planet. I said we're going big picture. I am the steward of this planet. So what I'm talking about is not becoming monks and nuns. It is not about being a holy man. When you are out in this secular world, you are there to live by the life of God and live from the love of God. That is the meaning of life. Sin is primar- primarily not the breaking of rules. Now, I'm going I'm to mess with this. This messes with me. I, I typed it and it messed with me. Because I was taught that, you know, God resists sin, and as soon as you do something wrong, God resists you. That's just a bogus lie. Here it is. Sin is primary, primarily not the breaking of rules. What are we talking about? We're talking about flesh and spirit. For many people, this is quite shocking, including me. When they say, uh, when they think of sin, they think, if I should have done it this way or if I'd done it that way, and you start making evaluation on what sin is on what you did or didn't do. Am I right? What I did or didn't do, man, I shouldn't have done, man, I sinned against that. I shouldn't have done that. Am I in your head yet? I can't believe I responded that way. I can't, you know, and, and we call it sin. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mess. Sin is primarily the breaking of a love relationship. So all the things you did wrong is not sin. But when you break the relationship of love, because we are created to be dependent on God, drawing from the love of God, living in the love of God, which is the life of God. Sin is not breaking the rules. Let this sink in, because what I'm trying to tear down is about 50 years of bad gospel teaching. Okay? I mean, I was brought up Pentecostal holiness, man. I was taught that if you fought with your wife between the house and the church, you could go to hell. You know, God had a big stick, and every time I messed up, I'm going to send you to hell. Sin is the breaking of the family relationship. It is the breaking away. It is the divorcing of myself from the love of God. Sin is the wife walking into a restaurant, seeing her husband of 25 years sneaking behind her back and kissing another woman. Now that's sin. Now Susie believes the wages of that should be death. And she has a concealed weapons permit. What am I saying? It is the breaking of a relationship. It's the breaking of covenant. So so all this 
ongoing warfare that the enemy tries to put us in is, 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 is narrowed down to you're not in sin until you choose not to be loved by God. Would you choose not to love God? Now you've got a sin problem. But until you actually break that covenant, you're not in sin. Now, you may need a spanking because you're a kid. But that's behavioral. The fall of man, the entrance of sin, was a call to independence. It was the insane attempt of human beings to break relationship with God and to find meaning in themselves instead of God. The temptation of Satan is read in Genesis 3, you shall be as God. Think of this. Only God has life in himself. God is self-existent. God doesn't get his life from anywhere. He is self-existent, self-sufficient. He is un- unbeginning source of all. He is the unbeginning source of all. It begins with him. It starts with him. He is life. He is the fountain of life and the existence, his life in himself. God does not have any life. He is life. Would you come to that absolute? Then you can start building a proper relationship. The heart of sin says, I will be just like God is. This is the heart of a sinner. I will cut myself loose from God, from his wisdom, from his love, and from his life. I can find all the life I need and all the love I need and all the wisdom I need to handle life in myself, just like God did. I will be self-sufficient. I will be self-existent. I will handle my life. When mankind declares independence from God, our source, we will become our own means. We would have to create our own sense of life rather than get our means and source of life from God. The problem is we can't. To think we can is a great delusion and a lie. Let's say we have an electric coffee maker. Let's say the electric coffee maker chose total independence from electricity. Okay, the coffee maker was made with all the components to make coffee. When it's plugged into electricity. That is stupid. This is just stupid just as stupid as the fall of man is. We want to unplug from our very source that is needed to become what we were created to be. If the coffee maker declares independence from electricity, what are you left with? It's not an option with an electrical coffee pot. The coffee pot can no longer fulfill its means. It can no longer make coffee. Therefore, its destiny is gone. It, can, it cannot be what it was made to be. It is left with, I'm a pot. It is perfectly useless because it was fashioned to be a coffee maker. 
And we got a bunch of Christians who have unplugged from the love of God. And we're walking around going, check out my pot. Isn't it a pretty pot? Pot has a nice lid on it. Woo! I can pour some water in it. But it was designed to make coffee. I know you used to like coffee. This is what we do with old religions encounters with God. Remember the coffee we used to make? Remember how the coffee used to take? In this pot, we would pour that great tasting coffee. Somewhere along the line, religion says you can do it yourself, and you unplug from the source that gave you that encounter. And you talk about the coffee. And you talk about how beautiful the pot is. This church is so nice, but it doesn't make coffee anymore because it unplugged from its very source, and it's lost its destiny to be a, 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 a beautiful drink that would wake you up in the morning. Susie says, how are you this morning? It's like, I don't know yet. <laughs> Give me another cup. Think about this. Every part of the mechanics it was, that drives it depends on electricity, and now it's independent of electricity. That's what's left is a pot. So now it just finds its meaning in its potness. Instead of the coffee that was created to make. <laughs> so now all the meanings becomes the color of my pot, the size of my pot, the shape of my pot. Everything is all about my pot. And then some of you start smoking pot. <laughs> some, some, some really reach for the meaning of coffee pots. They realize what they are made for. They filled themselves with water and coffee. But without electricity, there they sit, dead, cold, and no coffee. You get what I'm saying here? The meaning of the coffee maker's life is coffee. If it's not making coffee, then there's no point to its existence. When man declared their independence from God, he walked away from the supply of life. He walked away from the source of electricity, and so he left with this container, which is the scripture called flesh. When you are battling the flesh, it's because you've unplugged your source and you quit making your own coffee. And, and so we, like the pot, try to find meaning in the container, our flesh, in relationships with other pots. And all I have left now is the coffee pot with no electricity. The meaning of life is turned inward to this frail, weak, mortal container, which was created to contain and display with all of God. But there's nothing there. So we try to find it in fashion, houses, hobbies, relationships, the newest car, our career, pleasure, fitness, vacations, notoriety. Sometimes we have to give meaning. Some. Something has to give me meaning. The color, shape, and size of my pot. Using my flesh for that which God never intended is the essence of sin. Is this understandable? Tell your face that. <laughs> Please. I'm floundering here. I need, a, I need some coffee. 
It is like seeing a group of boys using a Stradivarius violin for a baseball bat. There's your illustration. God used, used us to play his life, and we're using it as a baseball bat. And so mankind feels this strange emptiness. They know that there is no coffee in the pot, but they just can't put their finger on it. Sin is all, is all the ways in which we substitute the reason for being here. I'm here to be a container for God and to express Him. If I substitute another meaning for life, another reason for being here to try and deal with my broken relationship with God, that is sin. So what am I... If you look at the first week, this week, you know, second week and this week, I'm putting things in perspective because we as Christians, we called everything sin. We called it the old nature. We did all that, which is dealt with. Then we get up underneath the law, which was dealt with. But then we have all this inner turmoil and warfare going on. And the, really, the only sin that I can see in my studies is a disconnect from my relationship with God. That's the only sin I can find. In other words, not letting God love me is probably the biggest sin. Because if I won't let him love me, I won't love you. And it's worse than that. It's death. The wages of sin is death. Because when that thing unplugs from electricity, it's dead. And so are you. And God said, in the day that you eat of the tree, that is, you declare yourself independent from me, you shall surely die. Imagine a renegade branch that decides it wants to abandon the vine with its trunk and deep roots. Who says I have to stay here with this vine? How old-fashioned and limited is this? And so the revolt of the branches begin. What do we say about this renegade branches? Naughty. It broke all the rules. No, more like foolish. It's suicide. It's idiotic. That branch is destroying itself. It is destroying itself. I think I wrote that twice. It doesn't matter what kind of spin the branch puts on his new life, how inspiring his marketing campaign is about his new life, how great it is. He will shrivel up and die. No questions. This is what Jesus said sin is like. To sin is to turn away from the source of life. To reject one's source of nourishment and meaning and go into one's, into one's direction. It is to unplug from the source of power and electricity and cease to do what you were created to do. Death is the result of the thing that enters this world as a result of sin. Worry, strife, anger, addictions, sadness, the list goes on. What is the meaning of life? Sin 
decided that the meaning of life is right here in my flesh in the coffee pot. Value in the pot more than what it was created to do. It is finding meaning in all this stuff around me apart from God. We read at the beginning of Galatians 5 about the works of the flesh. That is the many different ways people define meaning in their flesh. Paul begins with sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, which means that we are looking for the meaning of our existence in our glands and our organs and our senses. That felt good to say that. In our fantasies, in our imaginations, all of which is a gift from God. God gave us beautiful bodies with gifts, sexual organs, and senses. He gave them to us. He gave us all of that. But we turned it on its head to seek meaning apart from God. Idolatry is seeking meaning, life, or happiness in another person or in something that is created when that can only come from God. When I put something else there, I'm saying that I will give that it will give me the life, that will give me the meaning, that will give me the happiness that God says comes from Him alone. Sin is saying, I have to have this person because they will bring meaning to me. I have to own this. Or they see something on TV or in a catalog, and they say, I've got to have that. I can't live without that position in that company. I must have that degree. I can't live without that degree. I must have that honor. I must, I must, I must, because that, whatever that is, or whatever that is, that will fulfill and give me the meaning of my existence. Even a worthy goal sometimes is not sin. It could even be the gift of God. I can try and find meaning from that, and it becomes sin to me. The gift of God in my life, my calling, my position, you know, I'm a teacher. It is a gift of God. I can't forget it is a gift from God and makes it that which I find my meaning. That which gives any joy, any of my joy, which gives me my life. I realize I got my identity from my position and my gifting. Susie really liked Jesus a lot and was trying to live for him. In the wilderness, she never fell out of love with him. I want to say some things. We both have history of stupid stuff. And when I repented and I finally got right, I had these encounters with God. The aha for me was that I realized God loved me. That was my aha moment. Susie had her repentance time with God, and she never felt God was mad at her. That baffled me. She never felt like God didn't love her. She did some crazy things and never felt guilty. That pissed me off. You should feel guilty for that behavior. She just knew God loved her. 
That has baffled, I got to tell you, that has baffled me over the years. But when I study this now, and doing the ungodly things she did, she never separated God's ability to love her or her ability to love God, even though the behavior was wrong. And so when I'm going, you were a sinner, she's going, mm-mm, God still loves me. It would make me mad. And But the problem is, I became religious as a prophet, as seeing black and white. I would apply black and white theology on her because my black and white theology is that behavior separates you from God. And she's like, uh-uh. I've always been Jesus' favorite, even though I did, because you were an idiot, and I went over and did this and this and this. Jesus was still with me. Dude, we had a prophet call her out and prophesy over here. And the Lord has always been with you. And I'm like, you lying sack of... And he's given her this great, beautiful prophecy about how, about if, you know, if God's grace hadn't been with you, you would have had two or three ner- nervous breakdowns. I'm like, okay, was I that bad? Yes, I was. Hmm? This is a prophet telling her God said he understood the things she did. The problem is I didn't understand the things she did because I had a different belief system. What am I telling you? What I was calling sin, my, my revelation today after 28, 29 years now walking with Jesus I have come to the conclusion she did sinful behavior, but because she never disconnected from God's love, he never considered it sin. Because she never believed that he didn't love her, and she never believed that she didn't love God. And when this prophet calls her out and says, he understands why you did the things you did, that just used to make me mad because, you know, God threatened to kill me for my stuff. But the greatest revelation I had was that God loved me, but she had always had that. So the things I called her behavior as sin, God didn't. There's a, there's a verse in Ecclesiastes 5. Basically, I'll paraphrase it because it was an encounter I had when I was going through that wrestling match on how bad and unholy Susie was, in my opinion. And basically, it says, I'm God. I'm in heaven, you're on earth, so why don't you let your words be few? And it jumped off the page one day. Basically, I'm God. I'm in heaven. You're on earth. Let your words be few. And when it hit me, I was like, what are you saying? He goes, it ain't sin till I call it sin. Shut up. Now, I know I'm hearing God. And so I shut up. Kind of. But here it is 20 years later. I'm starting to figure out what he was telling me. It's not sin till you choose to disconnect from the source. 
even though her behavior out of woundedness and whatever, he never called it sin. But my behavior was sin. Why? Because I never let him love me. Until 1993, I never, never entered into that love relationship and that love covenant. Now, I haven't left since 1993. So all my behavior y'all didn't like, it ain't sin no more. This is not a license to be stupid. This is a reality of God's love. This is the flesh fighting the spirit. Sorcery, which turns away from God to the demonic. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of rage, fits of anger. What is that? They are reactions when somebody takes from me what I believe to be the meaning of life. What what, what are you saying there, Charlie? All of those reactions, if I know my source and my meaning in life, I I don't participate in any of that. I know who I am. I know where my source is. Something that I have treasured as my meaning, my purpose, and someone comes along and takes it away from me. The other prophetic ministers get a bigger crowd than I do. See, when my identity was in my gifting, that was my meaning in life. Rivalries, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, all the conflicts that arise from what is the meaning of life. You have husbands and wives who disagree over what is the most important thing. There's a continual conflict because they are figuring out what is the meaning of life. Envy. Someone else appears to have found the meaning of life, and they are happy, and that irritates me. Of course, we always find someone who seems to have found, and I want that. And so we respond with envy. Drunkenness, orgies is Paul's last expressions. That's when you you just get up and leave. Drunkenness and orgies is, forget, forget the meaning. The meaning of life is becoming unconsciousness. I want to get into oblivious. I want to unfeel. I want to forget. I saw this. I was at a bar, and a sign says, uh, for you that have come to drink to forget your past, please pay for it, uh, play in advance, you know. <laughs> like, you know, it's like, dang. Or I want to just feel pleasure. How does this affect believers? You may say, yeah, but I'm born again. You may have noticed that believers do sin after they're saved. For Paul, the flesh primarily is describing every part of you, desire, emotions, thoughts, and actions. Everything that is not under the control, influence of the Holy Spirit. Your new nature has no desire to sin, but that doesn't mean that your body, soul, emotions, and habits are totally renewed. That depends on the renewing of your mind. When you are born again, you become dead unto sin. 
your old man, your sinful nature died and was crucified with Christ. The reason you now feel a desire of drawing towards sin is not because your old sin nature compels you to sin, but you still feel the effects of your old man where your mind is not renewed. These effects of the unrenewed mind are what Paul calls your flesh. Romans 6, 6, you know that your old man was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. Paul calls your flesh the body of sin. Romans 7, 24, he calls it the body of death. The picture here is that your sin nature left behind a body. It left behind habits, behaviors, worldviews that are not in line with your new life in Christ. It lives from what it can see, taste, hear, smell, and feel rather than truths of what God's Word says and His Spirit is leading us into. It left behind an unrenewed mind that is similar to a computer. It was programmed by an old nature to lust, get angry, get bitter, get greed. And it will continue to function under the old program until you renew your mind. So we have all this bad programming. We have an enemy who is lying to us. We have bad teaching. You are an old sinner saved by grace. You can't do these things that the Bible says you can do. Yes, you can. He said so. Because of that, we only manifest the life of God to a very limited degree, to the degree that we are re have renewed our minds. Our minds are the limiting factor. When I first learned to drive... And, and conscious of what I was doing, there were my hand, I knew where my hands were, checking the mirror, effort to keep at the correct, correct speed with smooth turns. I'm saying when I began to drive. Now it's natural for me to speed. It's natural for me to turn corner. It's natural. Why? Because in the beginning I had to think, I had to, act in a manner I had never been in position to. But after it became familiar, it became natural. My mind has been reprogrammed to drive naturally. You can mistakenly think that something that comes so natural is your nature. Truth is that it is a taught, acquired trait. The reason you now sin is not because it is your nature, and we have no choice, it was true before you were born again. The only thing that forces us to live according to the flesh is the unrenewed mind, and that has everything to do with your identity. We act out of the old programming from our old nature, not evil on, not evil on the inside. only reason you lust is you have not programmed your mind. Listen, I mean, uh, this person said to me, he said, yeah, I, I, I wanted to go do porn, but you told me I had to invite Jesus. I mean, if he's with you all the time, tell him, hey, we're going to go do porn. I'll bet you the desire just kind of... Better yet, tell your wife. <laughs> I'd rather tell Jesus. <laughs> Jesus. 
this is tremendous. There is no demonic power inside of us that we are warring against. We're set free. Now, this is a hard statement because I believe in deliverance. I believe in getting free. I believe that sometimes there is activity here. But if it's there, it's because you've let it stay there. The only reason I'm not manifesting the life of God in these areas of my life is not because I'm not free. It is because I'm ignorant of my freedom. My not is, is not renewed in my, that area. I'm living according to my flesh in that area. Let's, let's take next week and look at what the meaning of life is going to be walking in the Spirit. That's really what we're going to do. But this week's end, I want you to see what sin is and what flesh is so we can recognize our capacity for it. This week, I want you to start looking at what is flesh in your life and what is spirit. What source are you getting your identity? What source are you doing? You don't fully understand the good news of Jesus until you understand what he saved us from. This week, I want you to use the, the, the subtle ways we can as believers live in and how we live in the flesh. How you live apart from divine influence and seek meaning in people or other created things. Examine yourself. That's not usually good. <laughs> Look for the ways that you live apart from divine influence. And I'm especially talking to people that have been saved 15, 20 years. Because you do things so natural, you think it must be God. And I'm telling you, it isn't always God. I'm, he's gonna, you're going to go, holy moly. That's why that offends me. Why? Because I've put that as a source of of my being, of the source of my existence. And so when so-and-so said that about that, boom, that triggered something. If you're always offended, you're not a dead man yet. The Bible says the righteous are not easily offended. How you seek meaning from created things. Love you. <laughs> like my pot. It's empty. Well, it's unplugged. It has no electricity. It can't, can't function the way it was originally designed. It is now has an independent spirit. You know, you can go to the new the new Keurigs. Super personal. Only make coffee for one person at a time. So here's this. Unplug it from the electricity. How personal is it now? Okay. You got to go got to go find some fire somewhere. Yeah, that's why God is a consuming fire. He would like to consume all that. I want, I want you to take away with one meaning today. 
the only thing that should be turned to sin from this day forward is when you choose to disconnect from the Father's love and Him being your source. You may have some addictions and some bad habits and all that, and, and yeah, we need to deal with that. But when you are calling things sin and you're still connected to the source, it's just a, it, he, he can fix that. It's identity. It, it, it's amazing when, when the, this week especially, when I look, I mean, God saved mine and Susie's marriage. No doubt about it. But I had become so religious that we almost, I mean, I, we, I almost got divorced after I got saved because I was so adamant on what sin was. And I am now, 20 years later, realizing I was wrong. And I, and I, I look at, at Susie and, and realize she had more faith because she knew God loved her. And I, I walk in a stronger gift, a more pliable gift, a more um, noticeable prophetic gift than she does. But she has a deeper well of faith and could care less about the gifting that used to be my identity. Someone said to me one day, you know, I don't, I don't think Susie likes me. I'm like, nah, she doesn't. <laughs> Why? I said, well, you know, she's seen crazy prophets. She was married to one. And you're not broken yet. And you think that that impresses her? <laughs> That's funny. That does not impress Susie Coker. But then she's had somebody sitting at a dinner table and give her information only God can hear. She knows it's God. Sin is the disconnect from your source. Sin is a disconnect from the meaning of life. Everything else is behavioral and correctable and fixable. But whatever you have allowed to disconnect your ability to be loved by God and to love God, that is sin. I'm going to tell you, that narrows the playing field now. Everything else is identity behavioral issues, and it's fixable, just fixable by the revelation of love. Does this make sense? I got about 10 more weeks of this, about what I figure. We're going to get there. We're going to be connected to the right source. We're going to be connected to our independent destiny and our corporate destiny. Thank you for tuning in to today's message from Identity Church. To know more about us, go to identitychurch.net, where you'll find resources such as a calendar, media, and upcoming events. 
You may also download an app for your mobile device from the Apple App Store or Google Play. Then from your mobile device, you can hear our messages, read from the Bible, take notes, connect with us on the social media, and even pay your tithe. Again, thank you for tuning in to today's message from Identity Church.